Um, do we want to do we want to do a show, guys? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Now I'll need someone to play with. A trio, piano, bass, and drums, and a bone for me. Hey everyone, do you know what time it is? Well, I'll tell ya. It's time for another Trek Trudge. And and this is a very special Trek Trudge because it's in fact the 30th anniversary of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm, I'm very pleased to have uh, with us tonight a, a, um, a full panel of friends to discuss this here episode. So it's, it's me, James... Um, and we have returning uh, Sarah from Warp Speed to Nonsense. Hello! And Byron as well. Hi. And we may even have a special guest appearance from Zach. Hey! But um, he hasn't watched the episode. Hmm. So, um, this, this week we're doing an episode that's uh, very special, but it doesn't have uh, Councillor Troy in it. I oh, hope that's God. okay. Yeah. Um, we're doing the episode 11001001. 11001001. Which is um, a great episode. So what did we think of the episode, guys? This is one of my favorite episodes from season one. I really like this episode a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, Agreed. Uh, uh, what's his name? Jonathan Frakes agrees with you. Yeah. He clearly thought it was well, great fun to be able to flirt with a robot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what's really funny is that um, right now I'm in, I'm in the middle of, like, season three, episode nine, which is another Riker romance. Mm. So I'm just kind of getting it in spades this week. Mm-hmm. That's not up the long ladder, is it? Um, it is not actually. It's the vengeance factor where he falls for the chef of a visiting dignitary. Oh yeah. And she's, uh, she's not quite what she seems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind it's of. one of those ones where I, I always forget that I've watched that episode mm. and then I start watching it and I'm like, Oh, that's right. I remember this one. Mm-hmm. Is she a, uh, James Beard award winner? Uh, the I chef? don't know this if they a, have uh, that on her planet. <laughs> this is a, uh, Riker beard pun. I'm trying to force. <laughs> The um, Intergalactic James Beard Award. Mm-hmm. Space James Beard. Or James <laughs> Space Beard. Yeah. That episode didn't sit well with me just because it seems to be like a lengthy justification for violence against women. Mm. Didn't sit well like some um, spoiled clams prepared by a non-James Beard winning That's right. award. Chef. You're just going to go all the way with this joke, aren't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> going to keep coming back. But in this one, 
there's um, there's very few chefs. Um, and uh, what we do have a lot of is we have a lot of recycled models from Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Um, the big Federation star base. I, I don't know what it's called, but um, it's uh, clearly a very expensive model because they, they use a lot here and there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what opens this episode is the big model. And here I think it's playing a different space station somewhere else that just right. looks the same. But it would make sense that they would have similar designs. Yeah, because, sure. like They probably have like one blueprint for these giant space stations. It's, it's like how to make them. Um, when you yeah. see other ships, it's usually, oh, it's the Enterprise's sister ship. <laughs> right? Yeah. I actually kind of, yeah, I actually kind of like it when they do that. Like, mm. nobody knows how to eke good content out of a nothing budget like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and, and, you know, you totally buy it. You totally oh, yeah. buy it. They're yeah, like, yeah, look, sure. that's our sister ship. And you're like, yeah, all right, I get it. I get that. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. oh, look, that's that's a space station you totally haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you, sure, no problem. You can go inside and you just rearrange the furniture on the sets. And it's like, oh, yep. we're on the other ship. Right. I guess you believe it. You buy it, though. In the original series, didn't the, like, the Klingons and the Romulans have the same ship? Yes. Like a or something. Yes. Yeah. Well, like, like, um, uh, somebody on the set stepped on the model ship. I forget which one it was. I think it was they stepped on like the Romulan Warbird, or they stepped on the Klingon cruiser or something, and completely broke the model. Mm-hmm. And all they had left at the last minute was the other one, and they're like, "Let's just make up some shit about how they're allied or something," and yeah. and like trading tech and so now it's like one species in a different species ship yeah and you're like okay i buy it yeah, yeah why not I, I think i remember why that's not? why the the klingon bird of prey is green like a romulan ship and looks like a it doesn't look like a klingon ship mm-hmm. yeah all, all justified in canon surely yeah yeah I, um, I love it when they do that. It's sort of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But the, you know, and they're like, well, the fandom will never notice, but like, this is the most nitpicky fandom on the face of the planet. <laughs> of course, they're going to notice and they're going to enter it into memory alpha so that everybody notices from now on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I kind of don't care because this is the weird crap that Star Trek is known for. Thanks, Trekkies. We love you. Hey. <laughs> um,. So we also get an homage to the, the the actual space dock sequence, which I think is from Star Trek Three, but really it could be from any of them because it, like they all melt together. Um, mm-hmm. And that I thought was notable because the other week we reviewed the Orville, which features extensive homages to such sequences as that one, and and now we're seeing it being done in in the real Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so the premise that we're setting up is um, we're bringing on board the, the, these uh, binary aliens that, that travel in pairs called the Binars, of course. Mm-hmm. And they're going to upgrade the Enterprise's computers because they've been having some issues with, like, 
oh, I don't know, holodeck malfunctions that lead to the death of crew members. Yeah. And so forth. So are the Binars, is that their own name for themselves? Or is that just like the English name I think that we gave them? Their name for themselves would be like beep boop beep boop beep beep boop boop. <laughs> beep 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 beep. One zero zero one 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 zero. Yep. Well, so the name of the planet is. Yeah, the name of the planet is Binos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you gotta guess that maybe. Well, I mean, but we don't even know if that's the English equivalent of yeah. that word. Because when you look at their at their writing later on, it's it's definitely it's sort of indecipherable, mm-hmm. unless you know how to read that, which apparently Picard magically knows how to read it. He does. He's fine. It's a little weird to me, and kind of struck me like that scene in the Matrix where dude is like, I don't even see numbers oh, uh, anymore. Yes, yeah, redhead, blonde, brunette. <laughs> Like, how the hell does, does Picard know how to read that? Uh, I don't think... It's a little he's weird. very talented with the languages. Yeah, I don't think sure. he could read it. I think he just somehow knew it was conveying large <laughs> quantities of information. <laughs> Not sure how. Um, but. Yeah, I always figured that these characters in, in this, you know, future setting um, have a different sort of technological literacy to us just because they they seem to be able to you know interface with great efficiency with computer systems yeah. even if they're not familiar with said systems they studied yeah. coding in like kindergarten wow that's hardcore yeah. man they started with like python so right well there, there's one episode where um like this little kid he's like 10 or 11 mm. and he's complaining about having to study calculus and i'm like what the shit? Does everybody here know calculus at like five? Let the kid be a kid. Come on now. This ain't this ain't right. Are you why is everybody you sure you, Yugi Hauser? Were you watching uh young Sheldon and you thought it was Star Trek? Is that possible? No, I don't get regular television and I refuse to pay for CBS all access, so oh. I have yet to see an episode of Young Sheldon. That's, that's no, that was um that was the one where all the kids, not all the kids, but a bunch of the kids from the Enterprise get kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And Wes has to re- lead the re- revolution. Is this the one where the adults get turned into the children? What? The one where adults like Ensign Rowe and Captain Picard get turned into no, children. Not no, that one. that one was Rascals. I'm thinking of, um, I think it's called When the Bow Breaks. Oh. Okay. Where people who can't have kids kidnap the kids off of the Enterprise and they're like, you're going to live here now and hey Wes, you're the oldest of the kids, so you have to help us give them Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. Right. It's like a little bit like um, The Handmaid's Tale. I was going to say, it's like the inverse premise of Mars Needs Moms. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like um, the, sort of what they do with like the James Beard Academy of Fine Dining. Oh, Sorry, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how that's connected. Thought provoking. Um, now, uh, <laughs> so these these aliens, the slave name of which is Binars, um, are, they're so connected with their planet's central computer, which I guess is just an '80s way of saying the internet, um, 
that the way that they think is as close to binary as is possible for organic beings, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, so when and we first meet them, um, Riker seems interested in um, their gender, right? Was he sort of like trying to assess like an in there? Like he seemed a little, little curious, if you know what I mean. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Sort of. Like um. Like he okay, so the the dude who oversees them is a dude named Quinteros. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, I, I think Riker says something to the effect of, you know, who are these guys? Who are these people? Are they wait male, female? He does this sort of um, uh, unsure moment, like you see. Sometimes people mm -hmm. will stumble around trans people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Quinteros is like, no, they're not male or female. They just kind of are. Mm -hmm. And they work in unified pairs. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay. Okay. All right. It's probably not an in there. I mean, like, I just, that hasn't stopped Riker in, I guess it was in the future. In the future. This point, but. Yeah. And that species uh, looked similar, I think, which is a bit taller and less happening with the head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these these guys look very. They're very very similar to the Talosians. Yeah, from original series. Yes, the big brain yeah. guys. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's. But I think possibly they had Riker ask that because. For the binars, they used really small females, but then they lowered the voice register mm -hmm. so that when they speak, they sound like they have deeper voices mm -hmm. just to sort of muck it up in your own brain. These are not males and they're not females, but they're something kind of different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Clever. Make you think. Um, yep. What I noticed about these guys is that Characters just seem to talk about them like they're not there all the time. Like Wesley yeah. and Riker talk about them like right there. And they're like, oh, oh, do you think we can trust them? And they're like right there. Yeah. They were yeah, like a little bit aside. Like They do that to Data too sometimes. <laughs> and it bothers me. It's you know? Really rude. Yeah. It is really rude. I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure Data doesn't care. Data has probably gotten used to it, and, you know, maybe he's not programmed to give a shit about that kind of a thing. But it is it is rude, right? When you mm -hmm. when you think about human nature and you think about all the things that are, are sort of, you know, you, you're told in preschool, you know, it's rude to talk about someone in front of them as though they're not actually there. And so it's rude for them to continue that, even if the person standing right in front of them doesn't care if they're doing it or not. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't be doing that. Shouldn't. Um, next is, is, is a fun little thing. Is uh, We get a, a kind of oblique glimpse of the Star Trek sport Parisi squares, <laughs> um, where everyone's in the big like blue jumpsuit get up with the, all the padding and just God only knows like what this sport entails. Cause it like seems to be like very specific padding in very specific areas. I've got no idea. 
Um, and uh, Lieutenant Yar wants uh, Riker to join them, but he's he's not feeling it. Yeah, this and, is the scene where like Riker's walking around and just sort of running into the crew, mm-hmm. finding them like each in different situations, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's sort of it's kind of strange, like they they want us to know what each of the crew is going to be doing on shore leave. And so instead of us just kind of following them around for a few seconds each, mm-hmm. they have Riker decide that he doesn't know what he's going to do with his free time. So they just have him roaming the ship, like asking people what it is that they're going to be doing with their time. And it sort of seemed to me like this episode should be 11001001 colon Riker is bored. <laughs> yeah, you know what that man needs? Robot girlfriend. Robot girlfriend! Mm-hmm. We'll make that happen yeah. for you. Um, immediately after that, uh, we see a scene that has um, achieved a very different significance um, in my mind it's one of the data doing a painting scenes uh, i can i can only think about yarn's edits when i watch these scenes now i yeah. don't know if that's true for you byron no i i actually don't think i've seen this episode since i've seen those edits so i didn't even realize this was the episode that came from but really? um to, to those unfamiliar um our friend jan van den himmel mm-hmm. did a bunch of uh star trek the next generation and, uh, edits on YouTube where he sort of humorous, humorously uh, recompiled footage into different narratives. And there was mm. one where uh, Mater Data did a series of sort of erotic horse paintings. <laughs> what? May be of interest to scholars in the future. So, Yeah. I, w- I, I will say about this scene, it's, it's odd that this is the choice they made with Data in this episode. They sort of uh, tucked him away. You would think that, like, the most qualified to communicate with a species that communicates with binary be hmm. um, a computer. And yeah, that's a point. You think he could make, He might have been able to do the like uh, the binary talk. They yeah, did. do the beep boops with them. Or, I mean, he he regrets later in the episode not like uh, supervising things better. But like, yeah. why why was he not involved in the upgrades? He was too busy painting. Well. <laughs> it's really important. Um, Doctor Crusher has her little subplot next, and it doesn't actually go anywhere. I think they cut it out. Um, she she's very excited about meeting Doctor Epstein, and she wants to give him some notes on on something or other. Cybernetic. Um, uh yeah yeah cybernetics yeah that fun yeah. stuff and uh i read on memory alpha that where this was supposed to go was dr epstein was supposed to be like 25 years old and i i think maybe that was intended to be played as a joke like he's he's much younger than she thought he would be uh but yeah. he just doesn't appear so well, he no was point. supposed to like she she was all excited to meet him because he had supposedly given her le- uh, that he had done a lecture mm. um, when she was in medical school, which leads you to believe like if dude is twenty five now, Doogie Howser, 
Doogie Hauser. Yeah. Like like Major Doogie Hauser was this kid like ten? Because mm. she's been she's been in Starfleet for a little while. She's a well established doctor at this point in time. She's CMO on their flagship. Mm. Like how long ago was it that she was in medical school? Was he two? We know that um, uh, the real Gates McFadden has uh, lied about her age on occasion, which is like you know something presumably many many actresses of her generation. Uh, did well they kind of have to like yeah because after a certain point in time they don't want to offer you jobs because they find out that you're older Mm. it's really screwy a bit yeah a bit screwy but lucky for us um we don't have to think about it because the binars tell Riker that the holodeck updates are ready and he can find something to do now Yay! And so he sets up a, a bar in circa 1958 New Orleans, and he requests a band and a bone for him. <laughs> bone. Uh, and he knows how to handle that bone, don't you worry. And oh, yeah. um, he uh, like requests some some female company, and he kind of cycles through them. He's he's very careful to be like complimentary of each woman that appears, so that he doesn't seem like a jerk. But you know, he's mm-hmm. he's he's rejecting each one. Yeah, it was kind of like the scene in um, Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he was uh, like designing his dream woman. Now, that's uh, interesting that you should say that because I actually um, felt a comparison to another Philip K. Dick adaptation uh, when I saw this scene. And it's perhaps because I just watched Blade Runner last night. They were screening it at Ah. a cinema, so I went. This seems uh, like they were kind of riffing on the Voight-Kampf test scene where um, Harrison Ford tests to see whether Sean Young is a human. And it kind of seems to be the same thing happening here. It's like a, you know, like a, a guy interviewing a very beautiful woman and being surprised at how um, human-like she is, even though she's really right. a robo, robo girl. So do you guys think I'm crazy? Does it, does it sound like that's what the, the filmmakers were thinking of here? Sounds about right. Like a like a Turing uh, Turing test kind of thing. Yeah, like a sexy Turing test. But that's sort of different from what I was describing in uh, Total Recall, which is yeah, more of like no. a yeah, weird science was... style, um, sexy lady design mm. sequence. <laughs> I guess those are two 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 different tropes, both yeah. used by uh, Philip K. Dick at one point, sort of strung together, back to back. Uh, coincidental. Um, Can I just ask, um, are either of you familiar with Dixieland jazz and no. whether or not you can actually dance to it? Yeah, so um, Minuet, the robot girlfriend, um, tells Riker that she doesn't like Dixieland because you can't dance to it. And I, I have no idea why this should be the case. Is it because it's free form it doesn't have like a time signature but then i i would th- that doesn't sound like dixieland to me i'll just do you want me to play a little bit yeah. i can play a little dixieland here i'll put my uh headphones up to the microphone so you guys can hear it i feel like you could dance to it 
Maybe she's talking about a specific kind of dancing. I do not see Minuet dancing to Dixieland, to be perfectly mm. honest. It's not, not her kind of... It's, yeah, it's not really her thing. Hmm. It just seems like um, jazz to me from this Wikipedia article. It just says that it was a style of jazz based on the music that developed in New Orleans in the start of the 20th century. Could you guys hear that? No. No. What? It was so loud. Oh, yeah, when I think wrong. of Dixieland jazz, I think of the, the jazz that they play on Main Street in Disneyland. Right, okay. Yeah. It does say it's, here real, that I... it's real bouncy. You think of like parades in New Orleans where everybody has a parasol. Mm, yeah, that's right. what it sounds like. And, and they're you dancing. can dance to it. Yeah, I, I was actually can. bobbing my head a little bit listening to this. Uh, it's uh, Clarence Williams, hmm. Dixieland jazz on uh, YouTube. YouTube. It says here that it Posted prominently by. features uh, the bone, so that's yeah, that's a that's a plus, big plus. <laughs> really this work this that is the show where I learned that slang. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't remember that. That's what he called it, but then um, the bone, which that's great. Surprisingly, it, it is actually Jonathan Frakes playing. He plays the trombone. Yeah, mm-hmm. and apparently, really well. He tames the bone. Yes. Not according to the uh, <laughs> piano player. The piano player was like, don't don't quit your day job. Right. <laughs> right. God, what the hell is it with like the sassy NPC on the on the holodeck? It's just <laughs> ruthless. Which is which is interesting to me because I I feel like Minuet is the first sentient holodeck character we've met. Who's actually aware that she's a holodeck character? Mm-hmm. All of the rest of the holodeck characters are very much like, "What the hell? Why are you wearing jammies?" If they don't, you know, if they're not changing out of their uniform and into something that's specific to that program, mm. then the characters tend to immediately call them out on it. Why are you dressed so funny? You know, mm. um, what's with that guy who's all gold with the yellow eyes? You know, they immediately call things out that don't seem to fit in with the program. Whereas Minuet just kind of rolls with it. Yeah. She's fully aware that she's a hologram. It's it's, um, funny. That wasn't my take. Um, uh, It just seemed to me like she had slightly more sophisticated algorithms. Like the way uh, later when Picard talks to her and she just, oh, he's French? Because he's got the French name, so I'll turn it on the French. Like, that seems like mm-hmm. something that Siri would do. Right. Yeah. But, like, um, the other characters that we've encountered before haven't done that. Yeah, no. Well, they haven't been was, quite uh, as aware of the fact that, you, like, like um, Bacard has that conversation with that one guy at the end of the big goodbye. Yeah, where Cyrus, you know he's uh, telling them all. No, not Cyrus Redblock. The other dude. When when he's like, you know, like, am I still going to exist when you turn me off? That that seemed like sentience mm-hmm. to yeah. me. But Minwet seemed yeah. to be, oh, I'm just executing the instructions that the Binars gave me. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, like, it doesn't seem she like she cares much about things one way or the other. She's just executing a program. Now, when I first uh, 
saw Minuet, I thought she might have been played by um, Kate Mulgrew. I thought she looked oh. kind of similar to Kate Mulgrew. Am I crazy? I guess. Hmm. She's, she's it was not. kind of a giveaway when she spoke that they were different human beings. Different. But Kate Mulgrew's got a pesky voice. Oh, love that voice. It, you know what that would be great for is for learning about the nature of the shape of the earth and its age. <laughs> well, it's flat, and I think it's like 600 years old. old That's right? good to know. Mm-hmm. Authoritative. Um, uh, poor Grant Mulgrew. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> hey, hey, it's fine. It's fine. Paycheck, paycheck. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, in a plot, or I guess this is all pl- a plot, um, Wes is talking to two of the, well, two of the binars, of course, and they hint at their um, issue about uh, their, their data proce- processing coming with certain disadvantages. Uh, so, you know, hinting at the later twist of, oh, we're all going to die because the computer's offline. Um uh, and that's that scene. And then uh, this is the point where Picard butts in on uh, Riker and Minwet's date. And um, they're very impressed by, you know, her tricks with, uh, you know, speaking French, nous tout sommes parisien. It's all very impressive. Mm-hmm. Which means we are all Parisians. That's true. We We, in fact, are all. Parisians, you can look mm-hmm. it up. Space Parisians. Picard's not from Paris, is he? He's from no some some estate somewhere. Gazan- no, hey, James, he says he's uh, really into Paris, though. Right. Great is he city. into it just because his name is French? Yeah, I, I kind of wonder about that. He says something about how that city can always enchant my soul or something like that. And I'm like, would you say the same thing about London mm-hmm. or San Francisco? I mean, yeah. are you being a little nationalistic here? Mm. Or do you just kind of specifically like Paris? They are enchanting all of them. I think In it's just... Ways. Um, uh, Roddenberry wants to seem cultured, so he. <laughs> oh, the so he hires the British Paris. guy to play the Frenchman. Mm-hmm. Um, we're having a big. Well, he was born in France. Le Bon. Yes. Wait, to Roddenberry was. Yvette Picard. Oh no, uh, Captain Jean Luc Picard. Wait, you're telling me Jean Luc Picard is was born in in France? Yes. Yes. Wow. On July 13th, 2305. Never could have guessed mm-hmm. from the name. Uh, we're having an issue on the on the ship. There's an issue with antimatter containment. Um, and it's so bad that we all decide to abandon ship. And, of course, we're still inside the space dock, so everyone can just, like, get off. Um, and Data and Geordi set the ship to leave on autopilot and presumably, you know, blow itself up out in deep space. But um, they they couldn't uh, ascertain the location of uh, the captain and Riker, so they're unfortunately still on board and are going to get blown up. Um, and when we go back to them in 
the holodeck, Riker seems to be telling some sort of story about, like, two kids getting caught committing incest, I think. Was that... Was that... Um... Yeah. Like, like some kids. He's just telling a cute story about some kids. Oh, so Something not... you probably see on, like, a clickbait site. Not incest-related. <laughs> no. No. Right. No, just I mean, some cute been. story about some cute kids, whatever, and she's utterly charmed. Mm-hmm. Which, um, again, I thought maybe a, a Blade Runner parallel, because it seemed to me to be reminiscent of when Harrison Ford tells um, Sean Young about one of the memories that's been implanted in her, and it's kind of an inappropriate memory about her playing Doctor with her um, brother, uh, so she, right. wouldn't, she wouldn't have shared it with anyone, but of course it's a fake implant. So he knows about mm-hmm. it. So I, I thought Are maybe you, that was. Do a you think parallel. that maybe this is a, a recency bias on your part drawing this parallel? I, you know, um, I did think that, but then I also thought, hey, like it's '87. Blade Runner came out like what two years ago. I think it's entirely mm-hmm. possible that they might have gone, oh, you know, we wanted a kind of jazzy noir setting, or like what should we use as inspiration for this? And they might have just been watching Blade Runner and going, oh, we can kind of, you know, lift this or that element. That that was what Mm -hmm. I thought. (laughs) Possibly bullshit. I'll allow it. Okay. (laughs) Thanks. That that really interests me, though. Like, what sorts of things are you doing, you know, at the time besides the thing that you're, the main thing that you're working on that end up coloring? And what it is that you're doing? Um, like, Beyonce is very careful about this now, I understand, because in the liner notes of Lemonade, she, like, credits... Oh, I might be getting this wrong, but I think she, like, credits a pizza guy who came around. And that might be Kanye, actually, that did that. But, like, that's something that artists do now, is they'll credit, like, everyone who gave them the, the littlest idea, because otherwise, you know, they'll be dragged into court, like, Robin Thicke for Blurred Lines... And you don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the backstory there, but uh... to which story? I think I mentioned like three. <laughs> to Robin, Robin Thick. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure Robin if we need Thicke to get into and the. Pharrell got sued because the song is like another song. Okay, that's a good. But if you give credit to the pizza man when he comes around, and you do it, you have a jam session with the pizza guy, then mm-hmm. you're in the clear, legally speaking credit where credit is due that's exactly right is this is this like the opposite of xanadu um instead being... of blaming the pizza guy who came to the door at the wrong time you're gonna credit him oh does that happen in xanadu? always always credit are, the pizza guy are you not familiar with the xanadu I'm, story I mostly remember i'm not the roller skating. oh um and I cannot remember the name of the guy who wrote Xanadu, but you know he's he's writing this epic poem and he comes up with the perfect oh. ending for it, what? and he's interrupted by a knock at the door. Yeah, the person from Porlock. I thought you were talking about the um, uh, Olivia the Newton-John terrible, movie. The terrible film. No. No. <laughs> talking about no. Um, the poem Kublai Khan. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Xanadu uh, did Kubla Khan or something like that. A stately pleasure And he came decree. up with the perfect, yeah, he came up with the perfect ending and then somebody knocked on the door mm. and he didn't get a chance to write it down. And when he went back to the poem, the perfect ending was gone. <laughs> yeah. No excuse, pal. Just quit, <laughs> quit smoking your opium or whatever you were on. <laughs> you probably would have written some boring poems then if if he hadn't had it. But anyway, um, man, what's going on? They're talking to Minwet, and uh, Picard uh, kind of wants to excuse himself, but she wants to keep him there because, you know, she has to. And uh, they ask the computer what's going on, and they find out that the ship is making a bearing for Binaus, by, by Binos, the mm-hmm. planet of the Binars. And uh, meanwhile, on the Starbase, uh, Data, in a classic Sherlock Holmes move, makes like an abductive inference uh, to the same effect that, that they're probably going to the, the Binar home planet. Clever. Clever boy. Yeah. So can I just ask what the plan was? Because it seems like they trapped Riker, distracted him, mm-hmm. and then Picard was ostensibly a, uh, or I guess the claim was that Picard was just a happy accident. Mm-hmm. But we know they needed uh, two people um, to uh, to help do whatever the computer program thingy was and they were only really bringing one yeah per the plan so where was the other person going to come come from if uh, the card hadn't been there perhaps the binar mind just doesn't work in this way yeah memory alpha kind of suggests that that they may have had somebody else in mind for that mm-hmm. and then picard wandered into the holodeck and they were like, fuck it, we'll just go with Picard. Go with that. that works, mm-hmm. too. Because they, really, um, they don't need anybody specific. They just need mm. somebody smart enough to figure out what's going on. Mm. And as thinking, long as they have at least one person who's smart enough to figure it out, then it's all good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe they uh, orchestrated the game of Parisi Squares. They were going to uh, um. hijack that hijack that team. <laughs> but they were on the space station, weren't they? Oh, were they? Well, yeah. Never mind. Yeah, Picard and Riker were the only ones left at that point. Mm. It's um, it's a red herring, Parisi squares. Um. Gee, and uh, oh yeah, Data is feeling responsible at this point because he was painting instead of um, uh you know, taking care of this situation. And I, I think yeah. we can all agree that it was all his fault. It was. He should have I, been involved in this. I like that they actually address the fact that, you know, part of Data's guilt here is that he he can be on the bridge every second of the day. He mm. He is available. He doesn't need to eat and he doesn't need to sleep and he doesn't need to have hobbies. He yeah. can mm-hmm. just be another walking computer that's sitting on the bridge but starfleet doesn't function that way Mm. um they you know they allow him time off like any other officer to 
go out and, and pursue his hobbies. Because, you know, you, you are sitting there thinking, well, you know, this guy doesn't need to be doing anything else. He can technically be at the con mm. 24-7 or, you know, whatever units of time they're using at that point in time. Yeah. Um, but they do have to address that because I'm sure there are probably other fans out there thinking, well, why the hell isn't Data there every single time? Yeah. You know, I, why is it sometimes other people? I think it's it's a little bit of a case of, like, human writers writing a non-human character a little bit too humanly. Because I, I, yeah. I think that, a, like, an android like that would, like, operate in ways that are quite different from humans quite substantially. Um, but they just kind of... I guess it's all just the, you know, oh, he wants to be human, so, you know, he's trying to grow as a being so and and it's true you you even if he had the capability to be on all the time on deck um you would want him to be taking breaks so that he can kind of broaden his horizons as a being and all like that stuff it's it's not worthless to do that it's 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 worthwhile but i i still think that um you know he, he he would operate in a way that would be different to the like organic members of the crew I still think like he's he's wrong in general. Like it's unfair to expect him to be on the bridge all the time. But in this particular case, it's weird that he wasn't more involved. It's like, what are they doing to the ship that he would not be interested in as uh, like an android who could probably understand what they're doing, right? Or maybe even learn from it. Mm. Like maybe he could like maintain it. That's learning. You to make upgrades as a being. That's what he's meant to be doing. I guess he just doesn't care about being a binar. He wants to be a human. Yeah. I think it's a story thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. definitely you know, a story thing. Yeah, well, I think that your complaint has merit. But at the same time, sometimes the writers will make odd choices in order to make sure that the story works. Like, if Data was on the ship, he'd have figured it out too quickly. Mm-hmm. And he would have resolved the tension that they were building there. Like I've, I've noticed that, you know, they have very specific formulas that they go about using at some point in time, they have to disable the ship in some way. So either they need to be leaving immediately and they can't leave immediately, or, you know, they have to figure out how to, how to build tension and to make sure that it doesn't go away until, you know, going back to, like, Galaxy Quest. Right. Well, why didn't it stop until, like, three seconds to go? Because it always stops with, like, three seconds to go. Haven't you ever watched a show before? <laughs> Which I find myself, like, anytime fans react to something like that. Like, I was watching, what the hell was I watching? It was, like, uh, the last J.J. Abrams installment. Mm. And... They push that ship over the edge of the cliff and it pulls out of the dive at the very last second. And I happened to be there just coincidentally on opening night. Mm. And all of these truck fans behind me immediately burst into cheers. And I'm like, have you people never watched this show before? (laughs) Are you kidding me right now? That's that's, that's good, though. That's cool. Yeah, they, they have to push that that tension to the very last second you have to be on the edge of your seat to the very last second Mm. and i think that there if they had used data 
they would have had to figure out how to, they would have had to throw something else in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they had to have two people who were not quite as computer literate as data. Like they had to be smart enough to figure it out, but not smart enough that they Mm. could do it instantly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Riker had to learn to read the computer like a woman in this episode. (laughs) That's how he was able to. He's, he's I think peerless in that regard. I think a way that I also read this is that there's a lot of deference to uh, Commander Quinteros here because he uh, oversaw the building of the Enterprise. So yes. he, they sort of infinitely defer to him and he puts a lot of faith in the uh, Binars. Mm. So they're mm-hmm. like, okay, the Binars can do whatever they want. Yeah. He built the ship. Another um, note about Quinteros. Uh, he was played by. Uh, Is he the stand-in? Uh, he was. He's one of the few actors who was also in uh, the original series. Oh, okay, uh, right. And he also played um, Izzy Mantel in the episode of, of Seinfeld um, with the uh, Mandelbaums. All these Seinfeld connections. Mm-hmm. He's um, he was the one that was like Mandelbaum. Mandel, remember, guys? Remember? Ah, yes, I remember it well. How could I forget? So, um, the reason that all this is happening is uh, the this there's a star in the binary system that's going supernova, and the resulting electromagnetic pulse was going to wipe the central computer on the planet. And of course, this would be disastrous for a species whose thinking is directly linked to their computer. So they needed to steal, like, a, presumably a quantum supercomputer with enough memory in order to, you know, store all their data um, uh, so that they could, uh, like, complete a core dump and, and put it in, in, in that backup so that they could yeah. reboot effectively it's a good scheme very oceans 11 paper yes very very... convenient that that the enterprise just happened to be going to this specific starbase and that they happen to be the largest mobile computer in the universe or whatever i liked um like how there's there's a lot of lines about all these people that depend on their computers in this episode and it just like makes me go internet that's that's us now. We are the binaries. Yeah, it's a true. it's an allegory for us humans here on this earth. Yeah, and the same you... thing could happen. I mean, to us, like if there was a sufficiently large like electromagnetic burst, magnetic burst from the sun that that shut down our technology, we would. Mm. I mean, we wouldn't die like they did, but certainly our uh, our our computer. Wouldn't be able civil, to, civilizations would, would collapse. Yeah, it wouldn't be able to play Flappy Bird anymore. Yeah. Or, you know, Y2K. <laughs> yeah. No. It'd be a Y2K scenario. <laughs> Planes falling out of the sky. Cats oh, and dogs getting married. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, they've... they've figure it all out they figure out that the password to unlock the computer is is one one zero zero one zero zero one which i i didn't quite get how they figured that out it's because each of the there are four binars on board 
And one of them is named one one. One of them is named zero zero. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So they tried but to get a combination. Think, um, they just plugged it into the computer. I think uh. like the computer has some kind of a password passcode breaking program or something. They were like. Hey Siri, we need to figure out what this password is. Could you just plug it in and figure out what it is? Thanks. And Siri, Siri gets it done for them. Uh huh. With um, with the help of data, interestingly. Mm-hmm. How did he help? I forget. Um, they called him and they're like, "Hey, data, we need to figure out what the password is." And. Oh. and and then he said something really sort of obvious. I forget what it was exactly he said, but he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, it'll be something simple. And they're like, okay, thanks. That's not <laughs> helpful. This is really helpful. I, I could possibly continue on with that train of thought. Simple. Um, Got it. Yeah. Uh, thanks. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Right. Four, three, two, one. <laughs> Hey, I mean, but no password. We don't need one. What was that, what was that movie? Oh, it was Spaceballs, where the, yeah. where the password one, was two, one, two, three, three four. four. That's the sort of thing an idiot would have on his luggage, and he plugs it in. He's like, that's the same combination I have on my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same combination I have on my planetary computer. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's all fixed. Hooray. And then the, the Bionars kind of throw themselves on the mercy of of the Federation. And it's like, these guys are definitely going to prison. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not going to end well for them really. Maybe executed. Possibly. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like the Federation probably isn't into that. But... Well, one can note that in new Star Trek series, uh, uh, lead character, Michael Burnham, um, commits like insubordination or whatever. And is sentenced to life. Mm-hmm. She, but like, I mean, she commits full space mutiny. She does commit space mutiny, but I would have thought, like, you know, we're in like a a Sweden kind of future where like there's a twenty year maximum. But no, yeah. they just they but just give her life. You got to think those are some pretty sweet prisons they have. It's they're probably, probably like, I mean, like, learn to paint. I mean, being on a starship is kind of like being in prison already. I guess <laughs> you have to talk to Data every day. He'll try and... Well, the close quarters, you know. Like, they, they probably don't, like... They, they've replicated. They probably don't replicate, like, shitty food for them just because it's prison. Probably still give them good food. Hmm. Or maybe they do. Maybe, you think? You think they're not serving that, that nasty slop, like, from the Matrix? Yeah. <laughs> they replicate that just because it's jail. Like, here's some mystery meat for you with worms in it. That's how jail works. Mm, gray cream of wheat. I remember mm-hmm. when um, William Shatner went to prison, it was uh, not very nice, but he did get to make out with Iman. So, you know, it could be worse. Because that's just how that show goes. I mean, mm. no matter where, where Kirk goes, he's provided with a chick to make out with. Mm. Mm-hmm. That must be in his contract or something. No matter which planet I visit, please make sure that there's a hot chick who's half-dressed that I can make out with. Yeah, preferably like David Bowie's stunningly beautiful wife. Mm-hmm. There you if, go. If at all possible. Um, 
so you know that's that's the the thing wrapped up and Riker goes back to the bar to try and you know hang out with Minwet some more and he learns that she's been replaced with an inferior robo bimbo who doesn't doesn't meet his specifications which is very saddening yeah. for him so why did that happen Oh, I think just because she was her her subroutines were inextricably linked with what the binars were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was like erased. Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't. Yeah, like the the program that he set up, he set up that program, but they specifically set up her. Mm-hmm. And I think that when when they left and they were no longer connected to the holodeck, um, she just kind of disappeared. The girl that they replaced her with is similar. She's got short, dark hair. She's Mm. wearing the same outfit, but it's not her. Mm. And she probably would react the same way that all of the holodeck characters react. Mm. You know, Mm-hmm. Not, not, Although, not the way that she reacted. Are we to assume that? So basically, the the um, binars are doing these upgrades. Um, in this case, as a pretense for stealing the ship, but they are still upgrading it. So, are the the holodeck upgrades real too? And this just happens to be an addition. You know, could we assume that they also upgraded hmm. the other uh, holodeck NPCs? To be sentient. To be, like, more, yeah, more reactive and so on. I guess uh, they don't really go into it, do they? And that's another thing that Jonathan Frakes said about this episode. He was all like, um, why didn't we have the guys back, you know, doing their their thing, whatever it is that they do. Would have been great. Yeah. I like these people as a species. Yeah. I would have been okay seeing them again. I guess we've just decided yeah. that we don't trust them anymore because they tried to steal the ship. And in fact, did successfully. Yeah. yeah. Although I do I do like the answer that they gave. You know, the Picard and, and Riker are like, mm-hmm. well, why the hell did you steal the ship? You could have just asked for our help. And they're like, you, you might have, have said no. Said no. Yeah. Right? I, I actually I really like that answer because, you know, if you think about it, if they... If they had asked and the Federation was like, no, we're not helping you, then they mm-hmm. would have been screwed. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a question of, like, it's it's better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. <laughs> like, yeah. they steal the ship, and they're still able to save their planet, you know, presumably, if everything goes well. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the, the people who volunteered to do this ship stealing are... Um, you know, probably going to have to take some kind of consequence or something like that, but they're okay with sacrificing a couple of people to save their entire species and their planet. Mm-hmm. And I think that they were yeah. not correct though. I don't I don't I don't think they were right. Like you consider both scenarios where they ask or don't ask. Mm. There are they can still steal it, even in- if they say imponderables, right? Like if they ask and they say no, okay. But you can make an educated guess that the Starfleet wouldn't say no because they're like really uh, self-righteous. But you could also guess, okay, if they do say no, then we'll steal it. They might 
blow the ship up, which they almost did. Which they almost did, right? Yikes. I feel like that was a super overreaction on Picard's part. Um, like to, to the ship almost blowing up? No, no. to to setting the self-destruct. Oh. I think, I think the, the timing was weird. I, mm. I think it was the right reaction, though, because it's like the most advanced, sophisticated ship. Yeah. Or it's you, supposed to be, like, in the universe, right? Yeah, you can't risk that, like, just getting in anyone's hands. Well, yeah, but he... Okay, so they come out of the holodeck, and they find out that the Binars have taken the ship. And before they actually find the Binars and are like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, we have to set the ship to auto-destruct. It can't, it can't be allowed to fall into anybody else's hands. And it's like, you're, you're not going to go up and talk to these people at all? I mean, they may be perfectly harmless. Mm-hmm. Really, you're just going to blow it up without any more information than that? Mm. And I, I feel like Riker kind of has the same reaction. Like, I, I really? We're going to sure? blow up the ship? Like we're not we're not gonna go talk to these people first because. But I but I but I think they were planning to talk to them, but they were setting the self destruct in yeah. motion as I a mean, really hard contingency against yeah aggression. And that that's exactly what they did end up doing. You know, like they set it for five minutes and then they they hustle back up to the bridge to talk to these people and find out what's going on. It's Really, truthfully, it's really just another, like, disable the ship plot device. Like, Mm -hmm. let's ramp up the tension a little bit more Mm. by claiming that the ship is going to blow in a few minutes. Artificial tension building. Like, why does it have to be on a timer? Why can't it be voice activated or something like that? Or starts the timer after a voice activation, after the, the palm prints or something like that. Yeah, and interestingly enough, there are some episodes where the the um, computer just sets a timer for them for like five minutes or whatever. But there's also at least one episode where the computer's like, "All right, how much time do you want before I blow up the ship?" Mm-hmm. Like, what's the difference? Why does it sometimes ask you how much how much time you want, and sometimes ask you, you know, sometimes just gives you a time? Oh, and I think right. it's a, one of those another one of those weird story things where they're like well we want them to have time to say goodbye to everybody right so we're gonna give them 90 minutes this time but next time we definitely need to ramp up the tension so four and a half minutes how much time does sigourney weaver have when she blows up the nostromo don't remember (laughs) i don't know i feel like it was like 10 minutes but it wasn't ten on screen minutes. No, it never is. Lots I just uh, googled Nostromo self destruct, and a um, thumbnail from a YouTube video came up with zero seven one four zero. So seven thousand one hundred and forty seconds. Phew! Too close. <laughs> too close, pal. Mm-hmm. And she she fucks that up, doesn't she? Because it does blow up. Um, according to like the logic of this episode of Star Trek, I guess. But the, up, Ripley. <laughs> those are the rules. Like, you never really want to blow the ship. You just want to... It's a bluff. It's always a bluff. Right. Except if you need to blow up the ship 
at the end of Star Trek Generations. In which case, yeah. that can happen just just real quick. As quick as you need it to. At the end of um, Search for Spock. Oh, yeah, that one too. Yeah, yeah, they keep on blowing the ship up, don't they? They do. They do. Man, don't and I blow think it up. somebody somebody made a comment about that. It might have been Will Wheaton. Like, why the hell do they keep show- blowing up the ship for shock value? <laughs> Which and they've done it four times now. Yeah. So, great episode, right? It's still, uh, it's got that classic season one vibe of, like, kind of weirdly sex pervert e, mm-hmm. which clear sign that uh, Mr. Roddenberry is still with us. Right. <laughs> Love you, Jim. I, um, so this episode, like rewatching it for me, um, brought up some really interesting points that, um, I think Bucky made with the big goodbye. Is that mm. her name? Bucky? Yeah. Um, so, one is that um, she said, you know, oh, I kind of hate the holodeck. I think I think that's kind of wonky technology, which it is. It's totally mm-hmm. wonky technology. As much as I love it, it is kind of goofy, and they have to keep putting these sort of band-aids over things when it doesn't work mm-hmm. and just claim it. Oh, no, it, it totally did that. It totally did that all the time. It's perfectly fine. Um, mm-hmm. But she also brought up the fact that yeah, people are probably using this to to get off like all the time, <laughs> all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I kind of have to agree. Yeah. Um, you know, like I feel like a, a thing that's sort of, kind of touched upon, but not really discussed at all, is that holodeck romances and holodeck addiction has to be a big thing in the twenty fourth century. Mm. Yeah. You know. Like, maybe people are not so much getting drunk because now they have synth hall or whatever, but it's got to be really, really um, a- a- addicting or at least kind of, you know, it's it's always there. You can yeah. always mm-hmm. go to it. It's if like you the, can't find a girl to date, you can make mm, one. It's the like the philosophical pleasure machine. Of like you can you can create a perfect world and live in it. You don't have to live in the real world. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. I, I thought it was like that scene was kind of creepy. Where like so, um, Riker just made this perfect woman and he starts making out with her, and then the captain walks in and he's he sort of just, just smirks like up. Oh, he's he's got a new uh, sex robot. That's fine. This is <laughs> this is how things are now. And then he's like wanders up and he's like gonna get in on the action. Like, all right. (laughs) And like based on what we know about like what happens between behind closed doors in the twenty fourth century, maybe maybe this is what they do. Like maybe they share a sex robot, you know, in private. Maybe that's I I had no problem with that. I I thought it was kind of rude that Picard didn't call him using the comm badge first. Uh, like, he yeah. knew he was on the holodeck, and he's, like, you know, Wes is, like, oh, do you want me to, like, call him or something? He's, like, no, it's cool. I'll just go walk in on him. It's all good. Oh, like, how the hell it. do you know oh. what it is that he's doing? Like, those doors don't lock. 
He was. Yeah, they could be doing anything in there. In progress. <laughs> what we do? Well, and it's 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 a little it's a little sort of creepy because yeah. you know he's slow dancing with Minuet and he's like, "How real are you? How far can this go?" And she sort of implies that that they can go all the way, mm-hmm. which, yeah, mm. probably. Um, you know, like show of visible hands or or <laughs> virtual hands rather, who believes that Reg Barkley probably had sex with someone in the holodeck. That's inappropriate. Me. Inappropriate right? relationship. Inappropriate. But you know, you you think of like this is Riker's holodeck romance. Jordy has a holodeck romance. Then then you deal with Reg Barkley. This mm. is how it has to be a huge problem, I think. Yeah. You know, maybe one that's kind of swept under the rug. Like, do they have AA meetings for holodeck addiction? Yeah. But it's interesting that you get, you get these sort of this tiered power dynamic here because first you have the captain of the ship apparently feeling totally entitled to walk in on somebody else's uh, basically sexual fantasy whenever he wants without permission. And then you have Riker who is creating a sex doll who is, I guess, ostensibly able to consent, uh, but probably can't really because it's programmed to comply, right? Mm. So you have. Right? Oh, I have thought about that too. Of, mm-hmm. of, of power dynamics, exploitation. But I think totally unintentional, by the way. I don't think. They're... Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that they're thinking about that when they write this stuff. Like, I think that this is things that fans think about after they've seen the episode 50 times. But, like, what if she had said, no, I'm really just not feeling it? Riker could have easily gone over to the panel and reprogrammed her to say yes. Yeah. Which, computer. That creeps me out. Yeah. That creeps me out. Like, eh, she's technically not a real person, technically is a real person, but technically not. But then, like, if he's. If you get someone who is perfectly willing to do that to a hologram, is is that like the one of those one of those warning signs? You know, like they say that serial killers start out mm. like killing small animals and stuff. Is it like, mm-hmm. you know, you have? I see that you have holodeck addiction. Have you ever reprogrammed a character to be more compliant because they said no to you? Uh. Right, so, it starts to go into creepy, creepy stuff. So who who would have guessed really that uh, robot girlfriend would turn out to be a problematic area uh, to explore? Yeah, it's a shocker, shocker. Right, my gosh, how did that not work out? Oh, <laughs> just imagine that though. Like you fall in love with this holodeck character. Yeah. What do you and do? And she says no to you. And you fall well, in love I mean, with like, the one that you change it to. Right? Well, I mean, and even beyond that, you develop feelings for someone in the holodeck. Where do you go from there? Like, do you just continue to have dates with them once a week? You um, know? Yeah. And then your date gets fucked up because somebody else has booked the holodeck? Well, I'll tell you, you um, yeah. what you can end up doing is you can marry her if you can, uh, like, trapped in a Romulan simulation. That's a, that's a deep, right? deep cut. Yeah, right? That's, that's like, what, season five or something? 
something like that. Yeah, see you in five yeah. years, guys, and we'll we'll explain that <laughs> reference. Yeah. Five years. I don't think that's the the pace we've been working at so far, but hopefully yeah, we can pick it up a little bit. But that's just it's it's weird to think about like do you eventually move into the holodeck so you can be with this person? Yeah, well that's you don't what, exist. That is what Reg outside did. of that room. That's what Reg did. Like, you know, he, he would sleep on on his holodeck sets instead of in his real bed, which you know, it seems like unhealthy in a in a whole bunch of ways. Oh God! And just, I, I, you, you know, seriously, if you go in and you start jacking off in the holodeck, that it, that's not holographic spooch. That's somebody has to clean that up. <laughs> Yikes! That, it just, they probably yeah. they can probably like uh, beam the the spooch <laughs> beam it out, out into space. Like, well, doesn't don't like the don't like the. Um, replicators need like matter to redefine <laughs> different things you think they could like maybe use yeah. it to fuel yeah. what do you oh, think makes the tea god. earl gray hot oh yeah. god doesn't doesn't matter where the atoms came from well that's Pretty that's hot. entirely true because the conservation <laughs> of matter like presumably these people are eating their own waste oh certainly probably which is just charming mm-hmm. yeah well, I mean, we do that now with reclaimed water. Yeah, and that's a-okay. That's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, like as it. long as it's purified and everything, it's just weird to think about, you know, because you, you're you trained from birth that that's not an okay thing to consume. And so when you're asked to consume it in a purified stage, you're still thinking about the fact that that's a thing that you really don't want to consume. This conversation took a really weird turn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think um, that's that's that was a pretty good 30th anniversary special. I think we we you know really mm-hmm. covered all those those classic Star Trek bases that that everyone loves, such as you know human waste and the reclamation thereof, and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Thank you very much for joining us, both audience and panelists, for this um, very special 30th anniversary uh, episode. Um, I hope, audience, you will also join us for the uh, Discovery podcast that we're launching where we watch the new Star Trek show, um, which is pretty good. Spoiler alert, I guess. Um, and that, that'll probably be posted around the same time as this one. Um, but, uh, in the meantime, you can, um, visit Sarah's blog at warpspeedtononsense.blogspot.com. And that's, that's, that's some great content for you. And I guess that's, that's it for us now. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.